foot. They were an hallucination then, that was plain. But the fact that they were not due to any external dupery didn't make them a bit pleasanter to see. For if they were a projection of my inner consciousness, what the deuce was the matter with that organ? I had gone deeply enough into the mystery of morbid pathological states to picture the conditions under which an exploring mind might lay itself open to such a midnight admonition. But I couldn't fit it to my present case. I had never felt more normal, mentally and physically. And the only unusual fact in my situation, that of having assured the happiness of an amiable girl, did not seem of a kind to summon unclean spirits about my pillow. But there were the eyes, still looking at me. I shut mine and tried to evoke a vision of Alice Knowles. They were not remarkable eyes, but they were as wholesome as fresh water, and if she had had more imagination or longer lashes, their expression might have been interesting. As it was, they did not prove very efficacious, and in a few minutes I perceived that they had mysteriously changed into the eyes at the foot of the bed. It exasperated me more to feel these glaring at me through my shut lids than to see them, and I opened my eyes again and looked straight into their hateful stare. And so it went on all night. I can't tell you what that night was, nor how long it lasted. Have you ever lain in bed, hopelessly wide awake, and tried to keep your eyes shut, knowing that if you opened them you'd see something you dreaded and loathed? It sounds easy but it's devilish hard. Those eyes hung there and drew me. I had the vertige de l'abîme, and their red lips were the edge of my abyss. I had known nervous hours before, hours where I'd felt the wind of danger in my neck, but never this kind of strain. It wasn't that the eyes were so awful, they hadn't the majesty of the powers of darkness, but they had, how shall I say, a physical effect that was the equivalent of a bad smell. Their look left a smear like a snail's, and I didn't see what business they had with me anyhow, and I stared and stared, trying to find out. I don't know what effect they were trying to produce, but the effect that they did produce was that of making me pack my portmanteau and bolt to town early the next morning. I left a note for my aunt explaining that I was ill and had gone to see my doctor. And, as a matter of fact, I did feel uncommonly ill. The night seemed to have pumped all the blood out of me. But when I reached town, I didn't go to the doctor's. I went to a friend's rooms and threw myself on a bed and slept for ten heavenly hours. When I woke, it was the middle of the night, and I turned cold at the thought of what might be waiting for me. I sat up, shaking, and stared into the darkness, but there wasn't a break in its blessed surface. And when I saw that the eyes were not there, I dropped back into another long sleep. I had left no word for Alice when I fled, because I meant to go back the next morning. But the next morning I was too exhausted to stir. As the day went on, the exhaustion increased instead of wearing off like the lassitude left by an ordinary night of insomnia. The effect of the eyes seemed to be cumulative, and the thought of seeing them again grew intolerable. For two days I struggled with my dread, but on the third evening I pulled myself together and decided to go back the next morning. I felt a good deal happier as soon as I decided, for I knew that my abrupt disappearance and the strangeness of my not writing 
must have been very painful for poor Alice. That night I went to bed with